Welcome to the AccuSmile Podcast, where it's my mission to help new practitioners of Chinese medicine navigate from school to career. I'm Stacy. I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist, podcaster, coach, and creator of Magical Networks. Be sure to check out all four pillars of the podcast where I cover case studies to sharpen your clinical skills, mindset Mondays to support your mental health, new practitioner interviews to prove that you are not alone, and all things business from launching your practice to negotiating your pay if you choose to be an employee. This podcast is made possible by our sponsors. So if you would like to support the podcast, be sure to check out the sponsors page on the website to claim your special AccuSprout offers. When I first started my practice, I was actually kind of a disaster when it came to my books. I hired an accountant who actually laundered money from another client. So I went on a quest to find a bookkeeper who really tailors to and loves working with acupuncturists. And I found Sarah at Horizon West Bookkeeping, and I'm feeling pretty fortunate. Sarah offers acupuncturists and the AccuSprout community a couple different packages so that she can meet you where you are. If you're new to practice, she can come in and do what's called a QuickBooks startup package for you, where you get pretty deep discounts on QuickBooks for about four months. She sets up your chart of accounts, assists with linking your bank accounts, makes sure that all the transactions are imported, and then teaches you how to use it with two hours of one-on-one training. It's a killer deal. She also offers cleanup packages and catch-up packages. Not catch-up packages, guys. Catch-up packages. And a monthly package, which is what I use. And I find it quite affordable and so, so, so worth it because, honestly, I never, since the beginning, have been able to keep up with my bookkeeping. You can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with Sarah to make sure that you guys are the right fit for each other. And you can do that at horizonwestbookkeeping.com forward slash AccuSprout or look for the link in the show notes. Today's episode is also sponsored by Jane, an all-in-one practice management software with helpful features to power your acupuncture practice. Jane offers flexible scheduling options that match the way you work. You have the option of offering one-on-one online sessions for initial consults, meeting in person, and scheduling staggered appointments to accommodate treating patients across different treatment rooms. Jane has you covered. Keep the relaxation going with a seamless checkout experience using Jane's PCI-compliant payment solution, Jane Payments. You can collect patient credit cards securely through your intake form or at the time of booking with an online booking payment policy. This can also help reduce no-shows in your practice. It's a win-win. And Jane's unlimited SMS and email reminders can be sent automatically before each appointment as an extra layer of no-show protection. To learn more about how Jane's helpful features can help you power your acupuncture practice, head to jane.app to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their team. Or if you're ready to get started, head on over to accusprout.com forward slash Jane. And remember to use the code accusprout1mo at the time of sign up to get a one-month grace period applied to your new account. Okay, so you've graduated and now you have to decide what's next. Maybe you already know where and who you're going to work for or where your clinic's going to open or who your ideal patient is and maybe even what your treatment focus will be. But I doubt it because 
Life doesn't really work that way for most of us. And in my experience working with and supporting new practitioners, you don't really know what's next. Upon graduation, life gets jumbled again. You relocate, you have babies, you get divorced, you interview for jobs, you work for other acupuncturists, you share space, and or you start your own business, etc., etc. But here's the truth. The snapshot taken five years after your initial career choice, after your initial start as an acupuncturist, is typically radically different. So what you thought you wanted changed. The location where you started no longer suits you. You worked for three practitioners before you found a clinic that resonates with your treatment style and goals. You thought you wanted to treat women's health challenges only to find out that hospice is where you truly belong. I want to tell you a little secret. It's okay. (laughs) It's supposed to happen just as it happens. You aren't doing it wrong and you aren't failing. You did some serious growth in school. We went in as like, like, I'm going to be super cheesy here for a second, but you went in as a caterpillar and now you're a butterfly. Seriously. Now think about this. Think about how much you have changed from the beginning of school to where you are now. And I know that this is super cheesy, but seriously, take some time to get used to those wings. Like take your time and be gentle with the new version of you. If Chinese medicine teaches us anything, it's that everything has cycles and so does your career. You're going to have to learn to grow into your practice. And it's okay to change directions, and it's okay to change your mind about things as your experience levels change. When I started my massage career, I went from being a doula, teaching infant massage, and working with pregnant women, to working for a chiropractor, to having my own clientele of competitive athletes within a five-year span. And It was so deliciously fun at that five-year mark when I finally figured out my place in it all. Same thing with my current practice. You guys, it has been a crazy wild first five years. I moved to what I thought was my dream town, started my solo practice, had a successful first year on my terms, what I decide success is. But basically, I was paying myself at the end of that first year. And I was able to. So, but then I got taken under financially by the pandemic, to be quite honest. And I went home and started a podcast. And then I relaunched my practice again. And I did it in a shared space situation this time until I landed what I thought was my dream clinic space, where I had two treatment rooms, a nice little walk in area in a super cute part of town. And I did that only to realize that. What I really, really was craving professionally was other people to collaborate with. And this office space was so tucked away that there was none of that. And I really had to face the harsh truth that while I live in one of the most beautiful cities in the world, I require sunlight. <laughs> Just so you guys know, I lived in the Pacific Northwest. And and I also required friends and And I was not getting that. I was not having that experience there, partly because of the pandemic and partly just because it's, it just, my life, it just didn't happen. It just wasn't flowing. So I moved back recently back to my pre-medical school hometown. And since I've moved back, I have had two outstanding standing job offers that I bet anyone who has owned their own clinic and understands overhead and business stuff would honestly be sort of jealous of. So wait, 
Holy cow. What? Did I say job? Yes. Yes, I did. In the last five years, I have learned that starting two baby businesses at once, a clinic and a podcast, is almost impossible. You guys, I have been strung thin, like really, really thin, trying to do both of these things at once. And what I do know about business is, or anything in life, what you focus on grows. And my focus has been divided and my energy going in so many directions that it's hard to be successful in one thing if you're everywhere else. Let me repeat that. You got to listen. It's hard to be successful in one thing if you are everywhere else. And remember that collaboration goal? Well, I want to work in a collaborative community, but I don't want to own it or run it or start it. (laughs) So that equals J-O-B. And that is a perfect segue to today's topic. Should you be an independent contractor or an employee? And what's the difference? I recently saw this question from a new practitioner in social media and realized that I hadn't actually ever talked about this. So for all of you new practitioners who want to start your career working with or for other people, here is some super valuable information, super valuable to the point where like a lot of practitioners who are 20 years in don't even know this or understand this. So before I dive in, I just want to take a minute with a quick call to action If you follow me, you know I like calls to action. I tell you guys to do this all the time. But first of all, I want to encourage you to join my newsletter. The newsletter is a place where I go a little deeper on topics that I talk about in the podcast, but I also offer up important links to current events that pertain to us, like loan forgiveness. And I give extra business tips and clinic magic to help you with your practice. And lastly, I also include all of the links from the shows to give you a second opportunity to grab something that interests you, just in case you get sidebarred after you listen to the podcast. You can sign up for my newsletter in the show notes if your podcast platform supports that or on my website or in my Instagram bio. Okay, here we go. How to know if you are an independent contractor or an employee. First of all, I wanna define independent contractor. Independent contractor is actually a designation from the IRS, like it's a category from the IRS. So. Basically, the general rule, the, and this is taken from the IRS website, which I'll also link. I'll, everything that I'm citing, because I'm citing a bunch of different resources in this podcast today, so I will put them all in the show notes. And once again, they'll be in the newsletter if in case you missed them. So based on the definition by the IRS, the general rule is that an individual is an independent contractor if the payer has the right to control or direct only the result of the work and not what will be done and how it will be done. Okay. And I'm going to get into more details in the, in, the, in the meat of the episode. But that's basically the definition. Historically, where did this come all, where did this all come about? Congress enacted the FLSA, the Fair Labor Standards Act in 1938. Roosevelt did this. And he did this because he wanted to create a standard of pay, meaning the minimum wage and a standard work week which at the time it wasn't 40 hours a week, but it is now. And then a standard age of employment. He set the the labor age at 16, basically. So kind of got rid of child labor. But in doing this, they sort of began to define what was an employee and what was like a business owner or a a contractor or uh, like a gig contract. So I'm going to share this with you. Bear with me. 
I'm going to read it, but I'll read it with some pizzazz. So anyway, this is this is from recently. Congress enacted the FLSA, Fair Labor St- Standards Act in 1938, to eliminate labor conditions detrimental to the maintenance of the minimum standard of living necessary for health, efficiency, and general well-being to workers. To this end, the FLSA generally requires covered employers to pay non-exempt employees at least federal minimum wage for all hours worked and at least one and a half times the employee's regular regular rate of pay for every hour worked over a 40-hour work week. The act also requires covered employers to maintain certain records regarding employees and prohibits retaliation against employees who are discharged or discriminated against after, for example, inquiring about their pay or filing a complaint with the U.S. Department of Labor. However, the FLSA's minimum wage and overtime pay protections do not apply to independent contractors. As explained below, as used in this proposal, the term independent contractor refers to workers who, as a matter of economic reality, are not economically dependent on their employer for work and are in businesses for themselves. Such workers play an important role in the economy and are commonly referred to by different names, including independent contractor, self-employed, freelancer. Regardless of the name of the title used, the test for whether the worker is an employee or independent contractor under the FLSA remains the same. So we're going to get into those requirements that the FLSA put out there, but I do want to talk about what's happening currently in the political arena. When Trump was in when Trump was in office, he filed with the Department of Labor to change this ruling a little bit. And so the focus changed a little bit under Trump. And that came about because I think and I didn't dive into this, but because of the Uber drivers were independent contractors yet, there was always this question if they got injured on the job, then they were not covered by Uber. And so they're they, it just became this whole big thing about whether or not Uber was considered an independent contractor gig or they should be employees. And so that's what happened there. And I think, I don't know, I can't speak for Trump by any means, but he changed this a little bit and tried to sway it a little bit so that mm, it worked more in the favor of people who were employee, should have been employers. One of the reasons that somebody would want to hire an independent contractor as an as a mm, hire an well I'm just going to say hire an independent contractor is because they're not responsible for paying your taxes they don't have to pay any taxes on you and they're also not responsible for covering you in case you get injured versus if you are an employee employer you have to pay taxes on that individual and you also have to take care of them if they get hurt Biden has recently filed with the Department of Labor again to change the ruling back with more emphasis on the classifications of what it is, what it means to be an independent contractor. So I found this really great article in Bloomberg Bloomberg Law. I'll once again, leave that link for you guys. But basically, I just want to kind of share what a couple paragraphs here because I think it's really important. So the, temp, the Trump test included five factors, but two were given far greater weight, the nature and degree of the worker's control over the work and the worker's opportunity for profit or loss based on personal initiative or investment. 
Now, Biden has recently proposed to change it back and put a little more emphasis in a different direction. So this just recently happened here in October. I think it was filed. And you can find this article now publicly. I think it was October 13th. 2022. The new Biden proposal would consider those two factors and four others, investments by the worker and the employer, the degree of permanence of the working relationship, the extent to which the work performed is an integral part of the employer's business, and the degree of skill and initiative exhibited by the worker. So I'm going to say that again, because I know that it just sounds hodgepodge, and if you're driving, that might have just flown right over your head. So basically, the two first two factors are that that are, that are involved. So there's six factors involved in this whole entire decision on what makes somebody an independent contractor. One, the nature and degree of the worker's control over the work. So in other words, is is the worker if is the person who hired you do they have control over what you're doing? And then the other the second one is the worker's opportunity for profit or loss based on the personal initiative or investment. So in other words, are they making a full profit when they do the job? Or is somebody else taking a cut? The Biden proposal, and these are the other four factors, investments by the worker and the employer, the, the degree of permanence of the working relationship, and the extent to which the work performed is an integral part of the employer's base business, and the degree of skill and initiative exhibited by the worker. The Department of Labor may also consider additional factors beyond those six if they indicate the worker may be in business for themselves, according to the proposal. So the proposed rule also provides additional analysis of control. And this is the important part. So listen up. So these proposed rules are including including how scheduling, supervision, price setting and the ability to work for others should be considered when analyzing the degree of control over a worker. So what they're saying is, if somebody's in control of your scheduling, they're supervising you, they're setting your prices, then that would be considered an employee-employer relationship, not an independent contractor. I think this is important because this has changed quite immensely over the years. It used to be pretty standard for chiropractors, acupuncturists to be independent contractors. This has changed immensely over the last 10 years. I had a discussion in episode 20 with my friend Mary Ann Jenis. Now, Mary Ann was a, she's been everything. And she was a wealth of knowledge. You guys need to listen to this episode if you are considering buying a practice, selling a practice, being an independent contractor, want to be an employee. Like she's covered every possible aspect of being in business and owning a business that you can possibly imagine. We discussed being an independent contractor in that episode. Again, that's episode 20. And we start discussing independent contractor situations at about minute 40. So here are some things that we touched on that she said. So basically, the industry has changed immensely in the last 10 years. It used to be stand industry standard, actually, to be an independent contractor contractor if you were an associate. That's how people brought you on. But it has changed greatly. So again, independent contractor is actually a legal definition defined by the IRS. It's, it, it's an attraction it's, it's sort of, it, in the past, it was like an attraction to the business owner because that way they don't have to pay employee taxes, which they pay about, this is rough estimate, but if you're new to the game, here's the way it works. If you own your own business, if you are, you own your own clinic, you pay about, about, depending on your classification 
and how you pay yourself, but you're going to pay about 30% in taxes on your income. And so when you're hired by somebody, typically they pay 15 and then as an employee, you pay 15, right? So if they hire you as an independent contractor, they don't have to pay any taxes on you. And then also too, they don't pay any work compensation taxes either. It's, it's, that's why people hire independent contractors in the healthcare field, if they do. But what happens when they do that is they cannot control your schedule. They cannot tell you when you have to be there. They cannot set your prices for you. They cannot tell you how to chart. So this came out in the conversation with Marianne. She basically said, like, if you, if you have someone working on a regular basis and you're controlling aspects of their job, then they should be an employee. For example, if you have a set schedule and you have to ask if you can take a vacation, then you're an employee. If you have to chart notes in a certain way, you are an employee. A true independent contractor position would be sort of like if you're filling in at a practice, say for like somebody who went on maternity leave, that would be in. You go in, you do a job, you leave. If the business owner, and part of the contract, honestly, too, is like in that situation is I'm coming in, I'm doing this job, and that should be written out. I'm going to show up from eight until five or whatever that person's hours are that you're covering. I will see the X amount of patients you should actually have a true contract for that type of situation. Another indication that you are an employee is if the business owner is doing the billing, then they're controlling the money. So that would be another employer situation. Unless maybe you're just sharing the expense of the biller, but I don't even see how that could happen because you're going to be billing under different NPIs. So anyway, if you're taking a percentage, you are an employee. When you go and you interview with different companies and they want to hire you as an independent contractor, those are the questions you need to ask them. Are you going to control my schedule? Are you going to collect my patient's payments? Are you going to make me chart a certain way? You know, if you're sharing an EHR, then that's actually, they're taking on you as a liability. I think, like, I think in, I, I don't know, that one's, spe that one's speculation, but I mean, you start sharing things like that and now you're looking at it like a very sharing situation. So either you're in a partnership or you're um, an employee. Sorry, guys. I personally would not go work for somebody as an independent contractor unless I was just doing a gig job like I was only a temporary hire and and just going to be there briefly then I might consider it but I work as an independent contractor occasionally to edit audio from acupuncturists who are putting podcasts out there so sometimes I'll get hired and do work but that's gig work like that's that's a start and end and that is a situation where I'm an independent contractor I don't think the trend in the future is to be an independent contractor. I think there are too many ways that can get mixed up and crossed. And it's really not in your, not to your benefit as a new practitioner to be hired that way. So I know, now I know your next question is, what about payment, right? Like, how much should you be paid? I hear senior practitioners gripe about new practitioners constantly because, especially when they're hiring, right? Like if they're hiring people, they say new practitioners act entitled because, you, and the truth is you're hurting because you just spent four years in school again 
and it was hard and you think you deserve to be paid the big bucks now. And I agree. But when people hire you, there are certain things that you probably don't know because you haven't run a practice. When you when somebody hires you and you see patients, their overhead is probably running in the realm of 50%, 50 50%. 50% of your that patient visit payment when they came to see you, 50 is going to the overhead of the company. And so if you go in thinking that you're going to make 70% of your patient visit pay, you are in a dream world completely. Even if you practice on your own, you are not going to make 70% of what you charge for a patient visit. I'm sure there's somebody who's going to prove me wrong. But go ahead and try. That's fine. Like, But for, for the majority, unless you have some crazy specific, like you own your building already or something like that, like typically here's how it works. Your overhead as a clinician, if you own your clinic and some of, and this is like ballparking, if you've been in it for a while, your overhead on your lease, on your building space should run 20 to 30% of your gross. That's everything that you earn. That's a lot. And when you're just starting, I promise you, like mine was like, oh my God, when I first start, it's like 70%. Like you're not making anything. You're just trying to cover your overhead. So when you guys go out and you interview, don't think you're going to get 70%. Industry standard for a new practitioner, this also Marianne told me, was about 30 to 40% of your, of what that employer is going to collect. 30 to 40%. Because they're, let me put it this way. Their overhead looks like this. They have, you have your lease space. Billing companies take 10%. So now you've got your lease space at 30. Billing company takes 10%. There's 40 already gone. Then you're not even talking about overhead for reception, overhead for supplies, for insurance, for keeping the lights on, for new equipment, for, I mean, it's rough, guys. So 30, 40, 30 to 40% is pretty standard, not to mention the fact this too. Those, new, those practitioners who hire you as a practitioner, if you get one who's willing to teach you things, they're also, you're using their energy and you they're less likely to be able to see as many patients as they want because they're trying to bring you up to speed and help you out too. So keep those things in mind when you're trying to negotiate your pay. 40% is a really good pay, guys. 40% is really good. So 40%, $40 per patient visit is pretty good, pretty damn good. And if you can get that, take it. <laughs> really, I mean just it, especially if you can talk them into like great cool, like let me work my way up to seeing two to three patients an hour. Then you're then you're making real money and you don't have the stress of owning a business. So if that's something that you're interested in, that's kind of what that looks like. And also, that's not how everybody hires. Some people will hire and give you a base salary and then try and make you perhaps give you bonuses or whatever per patients that you see. There are lots of different ways to do it. There's not just one way. But the ways that I've been interviewing, so I, I recently had a couple of interviews and some really great, great offers. Those people were willing to pay me a percentage. And I'm happy to do that because I am happy to grow. 
I am happy to get my ass out there and do the marketing and fill the practice and get busy and make money and create relationships and networks. And like, I don't have a problem doing that. I'm very comfortable doing that. So that's also another reason why somebody would pay me a little bit more because I know how to do those things and have no problem with it. So I'm really comfortable. It's not that I don't have a problem with it. I'm very comfortable doing that. And and the employers are more likely to put you on a percentage because they know that you're hungry and you will work for it, right? That you will learn how to retain your patients and you will learn how to create treatment plans and you will create success. So anyway, I hope that helps. I know that a couple of you have asked me in the past about how to negotiate your pay, whether or not to lease space or get a job or what to do. It's 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 your decision. It has recently been my decision to step away from trying to create my own clinic and just enjoy going into a place where I can go in and go to work and not have to focus on that so that I can focus on the podcast. So have any questions, you guys know where to find me. Thanks a lot for listening. Take care. That's it. That's the end of the show. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate you guys. And if you appreciate this podcast, it would be amazing if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a great review. And if you don't like what I'm doing, then that's okay. No worries. Just skip it. Thank you.